0: You are listening to It's Midnight Somewhere with DJ's Mistress McCutcheon and the Wasteland.
1: It's midnight. Summer. It's midnight. It's midnight. Summer.
0: Hi, this is Mistress McCutcheon coming to you from downtown Toronto. Still in lockdown for an extended period of time, as 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 we just have been because pandemic. And here we are in season two of the podcast. Of course, I'm accompanied by my partner in crime, the Wasteland,
2: who, uh, due to um, you know, questionable voodoo practices, is trapped in the body of a doll. <sighs>
0: <laughs> That's just making me think of because we were just watching The Conjuring the other night.
2: I was just watching Child's Play the other day, and not one of the good ones—the the the Bride of Chucky—because oh. I had never seen it.
0: Oh my god! And
2: uh, and it was time for a uh, bad cinema, and you know Jennifer Tilly, not top of the list for uh voice actors, but that's what they hired her for because she's only really in the movie for ten minutes.
0: But her voice is kind of the perfect match for that. I, you know, am I. I was into it. I was into the casting
2: by the end of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Sure. Sold me.
0: So here we are, season two of the podcast. And today we're going to be talking about DJ
3: Problems.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As far as DJ Problems go, in spinning this kind of music, we're not making serious coin in spinning goth and industrial. And our crowd is really small. And even though this is a thing that we do on the side and not necessarily our main thing that's paying the bills, I really detest the word hobby because it makes it sound so frivolous. And we're really passionate about what we do and we really take our shit seriously. So that being said, it can be really challenging trying to get into spaces to create our kinds of events and and in the before times, getting into a club was a highly competitive thing because we knew where we were going to be able to fill a space or being able to get into a venue and making sure that you make a bar guarantee or whatever agreement you may have with the bar. So it's always been a challenge because... You want to be sure that the bar is happy with you, that they're making money and that they're you're meeting their financial needs while you're making people happy and you're spinning what you want to spin. Because uh, I think what makes it a challenge for us is that, I, I mean, I love the kind of music that I play. And of course, we're we're under that goth industrial umbrella. However, I, I don't want to be relegated to spinning the same stuff all the time and hearing the same songs that have been played in clubs for the past twenty years. Because that's the kind of that's the kind of job that I would would make me really hate DJing. Yeah,
2: I agree with that. Um the other trick is sometimes it's it's also you want to try to get into clubs where, or, or locales that people are willing to go to, usually due to, you know, being familiar with it. And as we found out once, sometimes that uh, pisses off other DJs that use that same venue.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it. it's hard because there's definitely, depending on what city you're in, there are certain venues that seem to be more open to having our crowd. Although I have to admit when we've scheduled events and we've done things, various shows, a lot of bars will comment that we are a quote unquote, that we're an easy crowd. We're easy to deal with because we, our crowd tends to do fairly well at the bar. I mean, we we do still bring in people who want to drink, uh, it ranges from bar to bar because sometimes if, if a place is really expensive or, you know, drinks get really pricey, then people tend to pre-drink before they come out. But we still, I've found that with what we do with Prophecy, we still have a fairly like sizable crowd that will support the bar and nobody's starting fights. There's no weapons. There's no nonsense like that happening. So it makes it really easy for their bouncers. Hence, we're kind of called an easy crowd that we're, we're easy and manageable to deal with when we throw a party.
2: Yeah, I mean, and I take that as a compliment. Uh, you know, we try to be professional in in many respects, and one of them is, I, and I really think that what comes down to what the crowd is, the crowd is can be reflective of the people running the party. If you have somebody who's not a big drinker um, throwing a party, but they do other recreational things, That's going to carry over to the crowd that they have. Um, You know, we will have a couple of drinks during the night and that gets people going. Right. So it's that's that's who we are. We're not ones to put up a fight. We're professional and respectful to the places we are in. So that's pretty much the way our crowd is, too. And I'm rather proud of that.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I don't want to necessarily put a big focus on drinking in talking about this, because I know a lot of nightlife culture is is focused around going to the bar and drinking and not everybody drinks. And that's fine. I think that's that's definitely a choice people have to make for whatever reason. They're not interested in drinking. But I would hope that people would come out and want to support the music, and for us, being able to throw a good party where people can have a good time, they can dance if they choose to, or just come out, be social, get to hang out with folks and catch up. And a lot of that is carrying over onto Twitch in, in that folks can be a community, they can chat. Uh, sometimes if I don't see a lot of active chatting, it's because people are dancing in their living room. And that's wonderful. Yeah, I'll take that. That's another compliment.
2: But then there's also the other things that come up when you're DJing, you know, the problems you run into. And that's pretty much what we're here to talk about today. (laughs) Because we've had our fair share.
0: (laughs) We have. We have. It's it's been tough. I mean... Just thinking back onto the kinds of venues you may end up in, because again, considering the kind of music that we play, we're not a hip hop night and hip hop nights or mainstream night might have a much larger audience. They have a broader spread of the crowd that they're bringing in and tend to make more money than a goth industrial night does. At least uh, from what I see in Toronto, that's, that's definitely the case. So we may end up in venues that maybe aren't as high end. So what happens when you end up in all sorts of random venues?
2: Well, you know, sometimes not all the power outlets work. And sometimes it's a game of week to week or month to month. Which ones are going to work? Is it the one in the ceiling this time? Is it the one on the wall? Because, you know, they can't turn all the breakers on without blowing out the whole thing. So they just move them around <laughs> and certain plugs work. Do you recall that? that? monthly fight of uh, which plug works now.
0: Is this plug working? Or are we going to start an electrical fire this week? Because there have definitely been a couple of venues that I've spun in. One that I can think of that when they brought stuff up to fire code, definitely uh, was a relief because otherwise it was the kind of venue where you couldn't see very well. Uh, It tended to be very dark and you get the feeling that, okay, am I in a fire trap? And you kind of take note of where things are so that if an emergency does happen, you know where to go.
2: Yeah, yeah. I've I've played in a a venue like that too, which was interesting because the upstairs was a bar and the downstairs was situated like it was like a seated restaurant. Like many places in New York were, especially um, it was over on uh, 6th, Okay. like between A and B. Uh, I'm not naming names. I don't want anybody to get all, (gasps) but uh, you you go into the booth and it's got a, you know, one of those cutouts, like it's where they put trays up because it looks like it was a seated area for food. And the booth area is just all kinds of crap. rammed in there and there's about a foot and a half access and you have to set up on this tray below where that like half moon cutout is and when i'm leaning over to plug the stuff back in the back of my equipment because this is when i was using my cdjs too so you know there's a lot lot more things to plug into the back there and uh the clearance was so narrow. I think I hit my head on that half moon thing like four times just trying to set up. And then like another twice just breaking down that night. Ugh. I don't know if there was another way out other than the stairwell down. Uh, I only played there once or twice.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's it's just it's funny because it's venues like that that then make me think about Ghost Ship where you take a gamble on certain venues because that's your opportunity to throw a party and that's that's the space that you're kind of relegated to and it might not be the the best option because in the case of an emergency is something going to happen are people going to get trapped is it is it going to be okay
2: yeah and and you know that this was I played that venue before that and that is definitely a thing I think about nowadays which um, has only really crossed my mind in one venue in Toronto that we've played together.
0: Although I'll, I'll also say there was a Hyde Contravoid show that was way packed in a place that was about to be torn down. And yeah. it was packed from wall to wall, uh, although I really wanted to go in and see Hyde. And I, I had gone in with, uh, with my buddy Kelly, and she and I looked at each other and went, This is this is not going to go well because uh, you get to a certain point in life where you're like, yeah, I remember going to these sort of illegal warehouse parties back in the day. And and knowing what we know now, it's it's not always a good option to uh, to participate in that because you're like, if something bad happens, we're we're going to get stuck. So uh, I I don't want to stay. And we didn't. We ended up not staying for that show because
2: you live and learn that you do.
0: Having faulty equipment is also an issue and I've spent my time using CDJs. I'd be either borrowing from someone until I was able to actually afford my own and you never knew what was going to be working that week or if there was going to be an issue on a given day or, you know, uh, if the venue itself, if the speakers were doing something funky or, you know, if if the sound guy was there and if he was paying attention to what was going on. Or if they just unplug the subwoofer randomly what? Or...
2: yeah <laughs> you, you you haven't had that one happen you show up it's like why is everything sound wrong and it's just the subwoofer was unplugged
0: didn't awesome. move it
2: they just unplugged it awesome <laughs> uh what else um I could think of a couple Uh, You show up and um, my favorite was, uh, okay, you know, gigs going to start at 8 o'clock and you show up and and the the bar decided that because they're next to a sports bar, they're going to show the NBA finals on their TV outside. And because they're so tied up with doing that uh, and you have somebody that's on your night that's doing turntables, they forgot to get the turntables out of the basement or set up the stage or anything. So you tell people 8 o'clock and it ends up being 9.30 before you kick off. That's happened.
0: Awesome. That's I, always... I love
2: attentive, like, oh, yeah, we'll take care of everything for you. We'll have it all set up. And then they don't.
0: That's always a risk that you take when you don't have a, a relationship with the bar and you don't have someone managing that sort of thing. You never know what you're going to step into when you first start doing an event. I found that to be the case with... um I, I For a period of time, between, 20, uh, between t- about 2011 to 2013, I threw a series of events called Salon Noir here in Toronto at a venue called the Lula Lounge. The funny thing about Lula Lounge is that there is one of the most meticulous, like amazing sound technicians on the planet that works there. And his name is Howard Laurie. I adore Howard because he is just so he puts he puts so much care into his work and he has designed the place so that the sound coming from the stage is recording studio quality. And Lula Lounge is generally a venue that deals with salsa. That's their bread and butter nights on Friday and Saturday nights. They they do they do salsa nights. They have a dance lesson. They have dinners there. It's a really nice venue. It is definitely one of the nicer venues that I've I've worked in. They were a little unsure of bringing our party in, because uh, the very first event that I threw there, uh, I brought in Voltaire, and we did this whole sort of cabaret dinner with the show, with various acts, and... They weren't sure of how things were gonna go over and and we, we had to make sure, you know, we signed these contracts. We had everything on the up and up and dealt with everything. It's always it always helps so much to get things in writing. And yeah. once we brought in our crowd and we did our show, we developed a, a really good relationship with them because everybody was super impressed with how everybody was dressed. They knew the crowd was going to be super fun, super easy to work with. Everybody was pretty cool. Like people, people were getting a little tipsy and drunk and whatever, but nobody was like out of control, no fights breaking out, nothing bad. So they really enjoyed actually having us there because then I was told later which was a really nice compliment was that when we were planning our parties the staff would request to work those nights because they wanted to be able to experience the party hmm.
2: I mean that's always a compliment I mean I think we we had some of that at another venue we did prophecy at when we when it was still in existence actually that was round. You know, I we,
0: really loved working out of Round. It was so such a nice I. venue, and such again, such a great
2: venue, great friendly staff. Yeah, um, everybody, everybody from the owner to the bartenders, even the bouncers were super friendly. I mean, you know, they were they were just good people. And from what I heard, they were like their bartenders were kind of requesting to work our night because not only did they they do well because our our crowd drank, it, you know, it's. Uh, For them, it was new and interesting because they didn't need a bingo card.
0: (laughs) Yes. When I heard the concept of DJ bingo, the regular DJs that they worked with, they were like, yeah, we can predict what they're going to play in their playlist every month. and and it's really boring and we want to hear something else. We want something different. So that was really nice to hear that. And we were really grateful to get that support. It is just so important to have a good relationship with the bar. And it, it just makes it tough when you break out into different spaces because you just have to know what you're dealing with. You break out into a new space. You don't know, you know, is, is this bar going to is it, 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 are the conditions there going to be okay you know is it is it a gross space are the bathrooms gross uh, you know is the equipment working well you know what other concerns do you have to have cuz i remember is the floor be- spongy you right is it is the ceiling leaking yeah i mean these are definitely do all the lights
2: work yeah are there lights in the room oh that was a great one
0: is there enough? We know it's a goth night, but we still need to have some lighting so that people can navigate their way through the room and that the room is an interesting and welcoming place and that you have the ability and the space to dance if you'd like to, or be able to sit to the side and have a conversation and just hang out and enjoy the music.
2: Yeah. Or, or my favorite one when we showed up was, uh, what do you mean we can't get in there for an hour to set up because it's being used as a burlesque performer's uh, dressing room?
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you don't have a good relationship, when people are not professional, when it's not reliable, it just, it makes for all sorts of challenges. Cause then I remember we, we spent a period of time going, all right, we need to scout out some other venues. Let's see where else we can go.
2: Yeah. I remember that vividly because we were scouting a venue and we both rather liked it. And I remember you went to the bathroom and I looked at my phone. That was the night Leonard Cohen died. Yeah, I remember that. So, you know, good times and bad times, I guess. I I, I still really like that venue. It's just we didn't end up there uh, for various reasons. Like we weren't a good fit for them, I think. Yeah, you know, th- and that's fine because we were able to, if I recall, we had a really good conversation with the the bar managers and we we knew that ahead of time and everybody was cool at the end of it and that was it. No hard feelings. It's just they were like, This is what we expect. And we were like, Okay, but we do this thing. Um, and they were like, uh, we're not sure if that's gonna work. And we were like, We agree. We sound like we're on looking for different things. Thank you for your time.
0: Yeah, and, and that's that's just it it makes a, it makes a difference to kind of scout these things out in advance and communicate to, yeah just so you know what you're getting yourself into if you can get stuff in writing it's super important because then at least you know oh, okay well this is this is what we've agreed to this is where we, we want to do x y and z and you know, oh, are are we required to make a bar guarantee? Is there some sort of rent we need to make for the night, just so that we know? Oh, okay, let's let's do things accordingly. You know, that way we'll know. Oh, okay, is it appropriate that we charge a five dollar cover? Or you know, because I mean, I've always wanted to make sure that the cover for our night is affordable because having money as a barrier really sucks. I want. I'd rather have people come in and be able to listen to music, but we also know that we have to pay our bills when we're in a venue
2: right right and you know it's it's not only that like a venue will happily bring you in and sell beer but if if you don't charge a cover you're not going to be able to pay the bills you might not even go home with uh bus fare yeah so to you know so to speak or uber fare whatever it is these days right so it's and you know there, there there are nights where where I walk out and I'm like, well, at least I got transit fare, and that's that's something. And then there's other ones where I mean, if it's a decent enough place, that's that's fine. A bad night's a bad night. As long as they understand it's just one bad night, and you know, if you have one bad night and they just stop returning emails after you uh, sell out the bar two months before, that that always feels kind of shitty.
0: Yeah, that's fair as well.
2: You had an open Friday. You offered it to us because it's three days after New Year's. We're like, okay, yeah, we'll take it, but we don't know what's going to happen. And it was mediocre turnout. At least it was turnout. It wasn't, you know, sell out the bar level, but it was still, uh, I would say, anywhere from half to three quarters of what we would normally do. And then people were tired because it's three days after New Year's, so they left early.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was a choice. We decided to take it because we wanted to put out our party and we really rolled the dice on it because by the time January rolls around, everybody's kind of partied out after all the holiday stuff.
2: Right. Right. Given the choice again, would would I do it? Probably not. But, you know... It's, it's a thing. It's a learning experience there. I just think it was crap to just not even warrant a response after that. And that's where the professionalism comes in. You know? You at least just go, you know, I'm sorry. I think we're going to go in another direction.
0: Yeah. People not getting back to you really sucks. and. Although it's like, oh, okay, so this is this is your answer by not answering is is just annoying. But sometimes that's just that's just the way it rolls. And and yeah, you hope not to be judged on one bad night, but. Uh Again, it's it's such a challenge to get that Friday or Saturday night spot because you could be competing with a bunch of other things that are going on in the city. And it's really important to be aware of what else is going on, because that has certainly worked in our favor in the past as well, because. Same venue, in fact. Yeah. I mean, we were we were smart enough to uh, to link up and create an after party.
2: Yep. And even I gave away my tickets. I had tickets to the show and it worked really well. And that was the night we sold out a bar. And then And then after later,
0: that, not so much. Yeah, I mean, no,
2: well, the, we we did a decent one. We did a then we did a Friday the 13th one and that one over really well. So we had two really good showings. So we had one strike in three, you know, three at bats. And uh that was it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm bitter. <laughs>
0: No, I mean that's fair. Me, it's 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 a, a lot of work. It's hard. It, I mean it's work. It gets frustrating, and uh, I mean you want to be able to you want to know what the public wants because you could be spinning some. You could be going really niche and spinning something weird and obscure that only like three people are gonna like, and then you know if only three people show up, then there you go. You know you're not gonna get anywhere with that. On the other hand as I said, I don't want to be just catering to a crowd where I play the same 10 songs for the next 20 years of my life, you know? So I want to be able to have that mix of, I want to be able to be that DJ that is going to spin all your favorite songs that you didn't even realize you loved. Because I find it a massive compliment when folks have come up to me and have said, I have no idea what you're playing, but I love it. I've loved everything. And if I can keep someone on the dance floor, those are the people I want at my parties is the people who are having a good time, who are on the dance floor, just having a blast.
2: Yeah. I think, I think one of the the best compliments I've ever had while DJing, uh, in a live event was, uh, forget what, what I put on. It was one of the first shows I did in Toronto before we even were hanging out. And, uh, I mixed into a song and somebody from the dance floor just like yelled out, oh my God, you're trying to kill me.
0: <laughs> 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 or the other DJ compliment when I see someone hiking up their phone because they're trying to Shazam what I'm playing.
2: Right. And those are all cool experiences. And And then there's always the funny experiences of people being like, can you play something I can dance to?
0: Oh my god, I hate that <laughs> phrase so much, so much. Or when much. they walk
2: up and ask you to play something that doesn't fit the night at all,
0: right? I love that so, too.
2: So for our listeners, and Laura knows this story. Um, I was <laughs> doing like a dark alt pop night, and it was on the Sunday of a long weekend in a smaller city in Toronto, but not too far. I was in Hamilton and the bar was packed and everybody was dancing and everything was good and some girl comes up to me apparently it was her birthday and i didn't know this and she goes can you play kendrick lamar and me i don't listen to radio i don't listen to like a lot of mainstream music if you've tuned into one of our streams that probably makes a lot of sense and then uh i'm like who's that Uh, I would find out who Kendrick Lamar was a few months later when I bought a, a, a video game, a Madden video game for football and a Kendrick Lamar song came on. I'm like, oh, that's who that was. He kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it. It's not for me. It's not for me. If you like it, that's cool. I'm not going to shit on you and what you like. I, It's just not for me. Um, however, apparently she got mad, complained to the owner and left and like two of her friends left with her. What I what I would later learn is that apparently she was like really good friends with the owner, and the owner at the end of the night was like, "Well, we'll have you back, but you got to play some hip hop." And I was like, "That's that's not what the night is," and 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 I knew I had the cards because his uh, head bartender of about four or five years was like, "This is the best long weekend Sunday we have had since I worked here." Wow. So if you're gonna come to me and say you need to play hip hop. And I've just been told that by your head bartender. I know I can say no, because you're the one who's going to lose this, right?
0: Yeah, I mean it.
2: I could go down the street and do the same thing.
0: <laughs> you've yeah, because I mean, as as people who have organized events, we have a pretty specific point of view of our event. It's different when you get hired on, when you get hired on as a as a DJ to do something specific. For example, I I always go back to my experience DJing a wedding. I knew what my parameters were in DJing the wedding and I wasn't pulling out my goth industrial stuff. I wasn't going to get weird. I was like, okay, what am I going to play that a whole family is going to enjoy? And I went super retro. I, I made sure to play songs that were familiar. I played stuff that were I played things that the bride really loved because she had given me song titles and ideas of what she wanted, and I was like, yep, these are the parameters I'm working in, and this is what's expected. On the other hand, we do Prophecy. Prophecy's got a very specific point of view, and this is the kind of stuff that we play. As a DJ, it's really important to read the room and know what is working and what's not working with your audience, But as someone walking into a goth club, you kind of have to know what you're getting yourself into because you can't just walk into a club and then start making demands that you want to hear Kendrick Lamar or, I don't know, Ariana Grande or any of these other like mainstream artists. It's just not going to (laughs) happen.
2: It's true. I mean, this wasn't really uh, like a goth industrial club. And like I said, we were doing a dark alt pop night. And, you know, it was just, I, I think a lot of people just started coming in because they heard, you know, loud, you know, danceable music from outside. But like dark alt pop, like we're playing, like, you know, churches and stuff like that, you know, because churches, it wasn't really mainstream at that point. This is a few years ago now, right? Sure, sure. So I think they were, they only had one album at the time. Anyway, we're playing, you know, I'm playing like, uh, you know, that, just underneath the surface stuff of pop, usually with lyrics that are a little bit more meaning than uh baby or a firework. Uh, <laughs> but uh, to get to the point, you know, it wasn't exactly a goth industrial night, but we had a lot of that crowd there. And I mean, yeah, but I'm still not going to play ever Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> Sorry. Unless,
0: unless somebody pays you.
2: Specifically, if I'm hired to come out and do it, yeah, I'll probably uh then I'll then I'll you know it's like okay if you want me to play that I'm I'm gonna do my best I uh, you know I will uh <laughs> as you know I will attack genres I have no experience in and then just start mixing on the fly
0: and you, you know, know what like I the belly I,
2: dance night
0: <laughs> I was just gonna bring that up and I applaud you for that because for for our listeners. I created a party that was uh, sort of just a holiday belly dance party for my troupe and my troupe and various guests came and, and danced. So it was performance as well as music and just a big old hangout at a bar that I really like uh, just on Queen Street called Drum to Burna. And Drum to Burna is still going strong within this uh, pandemic because they've pivoted their business. They've got takeout food available. They're, Their whole thing is they were a massive venue for live music. And they always had such amazing musicians. You could walk by, it looked like a party every night of the week. There was something really amazing going on. And they're an Eastern European bar. So you can get a really mean bowl of borscht there and all sorts of amazing uh, vodka-infused drinks that were great. I really, really like that space. It's got a good energy, great crowd, wonderful staff. And we did a belly dance party there and... Of course. I'm like, Jay, come and DJ this thing. And I just kinda handed you what, like several megs worth of uh, worth of Arabic music and and uh, belly dance music and you just went for it. Cause you just Yeah took a look well, at it. Originally and blended. they
2: told us they told us we could uh mix in, you know, you could play if you play some of that it'll be fine. And when we showed up, they were like, Well, if you do all of it, it we'd really prefer it. And I was like, Oh, well, that's a completely different thing. And I just I pulled the songs from the set list I had that were, you know, either Arabic or Eastern European, because you had a good mix there. Because they're they're Eastern European, but like what is it? It's uh, Balkan. It's Balkan. So it, there's a good mix there of of the cultures. So I. uh just started listening to songs while the one was playing while those ones that i knew how they were going to flow together worked and then just started adding them to the playlist and then mixing them in i was like gee i i hope this works it's a matter of time until i train wreck and i somehow got through the whole night without really any issues
0: no you kept people dancing and it worked beautifully and uh, i know that was a big ask because i initially thought okay you you should just come and DJ. That'll be great. And then, yeah, getting a heads up from one of the bartenders that like, hey, this is what our crowd is and this is what we do. So we need to keep it within that theme and these are your parameters. It's like, okay, if that's where we're going and their their focus is is and their focus is on a lot of world fusion kind of stuff. That's that's where we took it. That's where we went, and it yeah. worked great. Everybody had a great time. I mean, I was stressed like crazy because I was trying to keep everything from from uh, you know falling apart because there was all sorts of stuff happening. But uh, yeah. but overall, it was it was a good party.
2: And I even I remember I closed out the night with a uh, gogo bordello, which went over really well, actually.
0: Oh, oh absolutely,
2: <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> all right, so. What's some of the weirder things you've been asked by patrons? The patron problem, or things you've had happen to you? Let's go with that. At a, a, make it a little interesting. Give people a little thing to laugh at.
0: From the patrons, ugh. or the bar
2: itself. Some like weird things you've had happen at a gig.
0: The things that get weird are when I get when I get mansplained to when I get talked down to, because I walk into a place and they think that I don't know what I'm doing. And again, this, I think may relate back to having a, having a relationship with this, with the venue. Uh, cause if they don't know who I am and they think I'm just going to come in and, you know, red line like crazy or wreck the equipment or whatever, or they turn things up too much because I mean, there, we know that there've been plenty of DJs who crank the bass and blow out speakers And nobody's ever happy when that happens. But um, I really, yeah, I really hate getting talked down to like, I don't know what I'm doing just straight out of the gate. It's like, look, I'm here for a reason. I'm doing this thing. You know, let me do my job. That's all I really want to do is, is just let me let me do my job. And if there's a problem, that communication needs to be there. Otherwise, I won't know if there's ever a problem i'd rather somebody be straight and come to my face and say hey you know can you do this or can you actually turn down this or or let me know what's going on or what i'm doing wrong or whatever yeah so, like talk
2: to us don't don't touch my gear jesus christ oh my
0: god no
2: never um no so f- again for for everybody else uh i uh was at a at a gig one night where the the uh the bar manager decided that um The ports on my board must have been bad. So he um, pulled out my inputs when I was in the bathroom and plugged them into, or he pulled out my outputs and put them into another output slot without looking or telling me. He put them into the booth slot, which for those who don't DJ means... He put them into the same slot you would plug, like, headphones in to hear queuing up and stuff of that nature. So me, not knowing any better, get up and I start, you know, touching my the platters on my th- on my controller. And then all of a sudden you hear, <laughs> through the whole club. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? And I, it took me ten minutes to figure out. Somebody uh, switched switch my cords. Moved it over. Or I don't know why said oh it's not working I don't know what's happening and it was just I don't know he was so amped up and huh, huh, huh. I was like okay you're you're on something please stop touching my shit
0: <laughs> yeah I never like having my stuff touched I mean when I was lugging around CDs I've, I've had folks that I know who have seen my CD collection and there have been one or two people that are like can I look and I'm like sure because I know they're going to be respectful. Otherwise, I don't want somebody coming in and like just rifling through my my CDs because I have a massive flight case that's got three hundred CDs in it, and all these little sleeves. and And no, I don't want random people just coming up and and rifling through that and touching my stuff because right. that that's how things go missing. Yeah, and yeah. that that really would piss me off. So rightfully so, the. There has been one instance where, after a night of DJing, someone put gum on the bottom of my flight case. And I was like, wow, you couldn't find a better place to deposit your chewing gum. Thanks for that. So that's, that was that's gross. Rude. That's disrespectful and rude. Wow. It was just gross. But yeah, I think the biggest the biggest thing that uh, annoys the crap out of me is when I get somebody over who's making a request or wants to request something. And again, it's that can you play something that I can dance to nonsense that gets me really angry because I'll be like, are you fucking kidding me? It's like maybe you just need to learn how to dance.
2: Maybe you just need to learn how to ask what you really want. Because well, you're probably reco- a tourist and just want to hear fucking enjoy the silence. Just ask for it.
0: <laughs> well, they're, they're
2: requests, not demands. <laughs> that too. I mean, that's why I started saying, no, you know what? I'm not dealing with requests anymore because I the one thing I hate is it's the people who it's like they walk in, they take their coat off. I've literally I had this happen to me at Prophecy. Person walks in, takes their coat off, gets a glass of wine, walks over to me and goes, I'd like to hear skinny puppy and leather strip and suicide commando and Wumpscot and and literally like just kept going. It's like seven or eight bands. I was like, I'll see what I can do. And then they walked away. And I was like, get yeah, fucked. <laughs> That's just <laughs> rude. This is not you wanna hear all that? Become a DJ. Number one tip I could give anybody listening to this. If you if you think you could do better, become a DJ. If you've got that much stuff you want to be able to hear in a club, become a DJ. Um until then, I might play one of them. I think I had one or two of the artists already in the set list. So I was just like, you know what? I'm just gonna roll and it'll get there and I'll be like, that's that's what I had. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah. And you got to you got to trust a DJ to do their job because, I mean, DJs have various followings. Like once you start listening to a specific DJ, you'll go, oh, OK, and then you kind of get an idea of what they spin on a on a given night. And if, if that's something you like, then, yeah, you follow that DJ and then you're happy to listen to that specific person. But I mean, you can't just walk in. To somebody that you haven't heard before, and just make demands on what you want to play. Like DJs are not jukeboxes, so yeah, it's I, it's I have super that frustrating. On my laptop too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just it's just dumb. This is the beauty of where where Twitch comes in is because I don't have to deal with somebody getting in my face while I'm trying to work. But I can yeah. still have a healthy interaction with the crowd because of the chat, which is really nice.
2: Yeah, yeah. I just because I have chat on my phone, it's so much smaller. I'm constantly like glancing at my phone to see if either I've been added or um, a reward has been redeemed. So, so on camera, it looks like I'm always looking down, but it's like that's how I'm keeping an eye on tra- on chat. So, I uh, because. I'm using my laptop both to broadcast and DJ. I can't also keep an eye on chat with it. It's uh, That would be too much.
0: No, that's totally fair because now we have new DJ problems in streaming online.
2: Yeah. Like, uh, do I have enough bandwidth? Um, it, is the camera positioned correctly? Are we going to have uh, a weird
0: technical problem tonight? What's going to happen?
2: Yeah. What's going to happen? Um how does my lighting look? Why am I blinded? No,
0: <laughs> my PC has decided to do an update just before oh, I go live.
2: That's happened to me. That's happened to me. Um, and then my my good old favorite uh, StreamLab has Streamlabs has disconnected.
0: Well, I was having the most frustrating time with my old controller because my old controller would disconnect at random, and it did it a couple times when I was live. And we were guests of a specific event. And it was totally frustrating because I was like, all right, as long as I can handle this professionally. And again, this is why I'm grateful that we're a team, because I knew that I had gone down and I was like, all right, this isn't going to happen. You need to jump in. And you did. And it was fine. And then the night continued. But we went through a pretty steep learning curve as we started streaming online and making sure that things were running smoothly. Yeah, and
2: just so everybody's aware, neither of us had ever really used Twitch. Like, I was aware of it because I have a a couple of friends who were doing stuff on there, but I never even really watched it before. Yeah, kind of
0: learning Twitch was a whole other experience, getting our brains kind of wrapped around OBS.
2: And then Streamlabs and figuring out which one works better, and, you know, then which one works better with better interactions for... For the viewers. And that's why we settled with Streamlabs. But, uh, you know, OBS is a little bit more user friendly, definitely a little bit more streamlined. But Streamlabs had a little bit more bells and whistles that people like. That one day I will figure out how they all work. (laughs) (laughs) Why won't my goddamn alerts work still? (laughs)
0: yeah a lot of times uh to sit on tutorials on youtube that's for sure and because of twitch a lot of djing has kind of gotten gamified a bit
2: yeah yeah and that's why we have the the shtick of uh with the jason mass and the weapons and and the phone they're foam they're foam people they're not real i'm not swinging real machetes around because i am a walking calamity and that's how i would lose a foot (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's going to probably come to the day where we're going to have to figure out some way to incorporate it into a live show.
0: <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize we were signing up to become prop comedians in addition to DJs, but it's been a thing and it's been a lot of fun to lean into.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think we've gotten pretty good at it without ending up like as jacked and roided out as Carrot Top. <laughs> at least he looks roided out. I don't know if he actually is folks. Oh jeez. <laughs> Anyway,
0: so DJing has been quite a journey, although again, I've been grateful to be able to work as a team and we've navigated a bunch of different things in venues in Toronto. And then during the pandemic, switching into Twitch land and still running Prophecy. So it certainly has had its ups and downs and has been all over the place. But I mean, I'm glad that we're still doing it. It's not a chore. We're still very passionate about music and i I think this is a good opportunity to drop a song in here. One of the things that I've semi-recently picked up that's been on my Bandcamp list, I had a bunch of music sent over to me from a promoter in France who had given us a big old list and I was like, oh boy, we're being bombarded with links. But then as I started going through the list, I was like, holy shit, there's some really good stuff here. And I have to admit, we live in a bilingual country and i am a sucker for french music and this specific band is called nan not a number is the name of the band they are from france and the track i want to drop in here is called black water
2: So we just wanted to thank everybody who's been with us either for the last year or even if this is your first time listening to us. Uh, If you're following us on Facebook, you may have seen that we were asking for user-submitted clips to see what people thought. So we're going to play some of them for you now.
4: Hello. It's DJ Ms Margot from the West Coast, Portland, and the Bay Area, etc. I just wanted to get on here and comment about its Midnight Somewhere podcast pretty rad podcast that talks about all kinds of things in our music community, as well as interviewing artists and musicians from the community. And I just wanted to say like, there was at least two episodes that were my favorite. One was number nine that discussed the uh, problematic artists in our community. And I think that's a very important conversation to have. We need to start talking about how their personal actions affect the audience of their music. And I think it's great that we're Midnight Somewhere was able to have a good conversation about that. I learned a lot. I had no idea about Nina Hagen. That's pretty awful news. Uh, My second favorite podcast, of course, was the one about Klaus Nomi because this underrated artist who is simply amazing just needs more exposure. And I'm so glad they were able to discuss his life and his music. And he's just such a wonderful artist that I'm glad is getting some attention. Of course, there's a, podcast with the interview with me, DJ Ms. Margot, but I'll leave that up to the audience to see if they like that one as much as I like the other two. <laughs> Thank you very much, and hope you continue to listen to It's Midnight Somewhere.
2: Hey, this is Clint from Bloodbells, and you are listening to the It's Midnight Somewhere podcast. My personal favorite episode is the ministry episode. It is a perfect example of the kind of in-depth look at our favorite artists and musicians that both DJ Mistress McCutcheon and The Wasteland provide to us every single time they grace us with this wonderful show. Thanks again to both of you, and thanks for listening.
3: This is DJ Mark Splatter. I started DeathRock.com in 1998 until about 2010. I was also behind Radio Ghoul School, the streaming internet radio. I was a DJ in New York, and then I moved out to Los Angeles, where I started Club Ghoul School in Hollywood. I then moved out to Berlin, DJing there and becoming more of a touring DJ. I stopped DJing in clubs around 2015, but I still upload mixes, uh, both old and new, to my Mixcloud site, including some in collaboration with DJ Mistress McCutcheon. I have been listening to the It's Midnight Somewhere podcast since early on, and my favorite episode was number 15, The Songs That Shaped Us. Despite my experience with formative songs being quite different, more on the punk side coming into Goth and Death Rock, I will always be glad to talk to you about formative songs and uh, your first experiences coming into the genres, because it's, uh, it's really telling about you know where you're coming from. Especially if you're DJs who I respect as much as Mistress McCutcheon and The Wasteland. I laughed when I groaned the same exact way as Mistress McCutcheon did when The Wasteland brought up his first formative song.
5: (laughs) Hi, this is Kevin Matthews. You may know me through Sex Gang Children, Sad Lovers and Giants, or perhaps The Mystery Girls. I just want to say big ups to my good friend DJ Mistress McCutcheon and The Wasteland. For keeping our peckers well and truly up over this last year of lockdown with their great podcast, It's Midnight Somewhere. And if you've not heard any of their podcasts before, check out episode 15 Songs That Shaped Us. Now, the tunes that were on heavy rotation when I first started clubbing were things like Killing Jokes Follow the Leaders, Bauhaus Kick in the Eye, Human League Sound of the Crowd, Simple Minds of the American, Heaven 17 Fascist Groove Thang, and D.A.F. De Mussolini. But don't worry guys, I'm not going to ask for a request. Here's to another year of you keep doing what you do in our ear holes.
0: After some of the feedback that we received about the podcast, there was a lot of positive comments about our last episode, which was dedicated to Klaus Nomi. And I knew there was one DJ in particular who I needed to talk to about this because he is a massive fan. And this would be Mike Kangle, known as DJ Kangle, based out of the DC area. If you're not already following him on Twitch, you should Definitely check him out. He's got such great energy and is a really wonderful DJ. And here's a little something he had
6: to say. So Klaus Nomi. So around, I'd say, 1986 or 1987, I would go to Rocky Horror Picture Show a lot on the weekends. My friends and I would hang out there. But afterwards, we always went to whoever's house was available to party and hang out and do this and that. And one night after Rocky Horror... We're at somebody's house and we're watching late night TV. It was probably USA Network that all night variety show they had called Up All Night, um, and a movie called Erg: A Music War came on. Now, if you're not familiar with it, Erg: A Music War was made in 1982. You can still find it on streaming platforms and on DVD. Um, and it was uh, this was before MTV, so it was essentially just a movie where they made a whole bunch of live recordings of uh, band performances. And strung them all together and called it a movie. And these were all new wave bands, like the biggest new wave bands and the most obscure and a few rare new wave bands that 1982 had to offer. And this movie that night introduced me to so many bands that have like defined my musical path for like my entire life. It was the first time I ever saw or heard Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, XTC, Oingo Boingo. Um, Not the first time I'd seen or heard Devo, but the first time I saw a live performance by them. The Cramps, oh my God, the Cramps so influential to me. Gary Newman, who's meant so much to me over the years. And about midway through the movie, this weird esoteric rock band came on and they focused on the singer and the marquee came up and it was Klaus Nomi. And watching Klaus Nomi with his counter-tenor voice, with his impossibly thin figure, with his alien hair, with this big black and white plastic tuxedo, and it was just, my jaw hit the floor, and I don't think I've ever been more stunned or had a bigger sensation of, I have no idea what I'm seeing or hearing in my life before or since. And that was, he was doing a song, called Total Eclipse and I was spellbound. I was spellbound. I was captivated and he's been in the background of my musical experience ever since that night and when I became a DJ in the late 90s, Klaus Nomi never really put in, put out a huge volume of um huge volume of material while he was alive music-wise. He was His tagline was, he came from outer space to save the human race, and he was part of the art scene in New York of the late 70s and early 80s. So it was always performance art more than actual recorded art. So he never had huge club hits, but his look, his aesthetic, his sound was so quintessentially early 80s New York and influenced so many bands and so much music for so many years afterwards that... Despite the fact that he never really actually recorded that much material, only two albums and a bunch of miscellaneous stuff and not all that well produced, he's been in the background as an influence, as a driving force for so much dance music that I have DJed over the years, and he's always been one of my most favorite artists. He was the first artist I ever encountered in my young life that really, truly just, burst, you know, knocked down all the barriers and showed me that really all of the rules you've been taught about gender, all the rules you've been taught about music, all the rules you've been taught about art really just were something we made up. And if you want to be something totally different and if you want to be something totally new, you can be. You can come from outer space to save the human race just like he did. And I have over the years collected so much Klaus Nomi material, all of his music, of course. I have a first edition of his uh, first vinyl release, which is the, it's just the black and white one with him on the cover. It's probably the most iconic image and the one that if you've seen one at all, you've most likely seen. And uh, press releases, I have magazines with articles. His first, uh, the issue of the New York Magazine that was the first appearance of his iconic Jaegermeister ad. And um, around 2009, I found this piece of artwork online by this artist named Francis Carnalba that was vector art of uh, Klaus Nomi and it was just a sort of a V-shaped bust uh vector art illustration of Klaus Nomi's head shoulders that uh, big plastic tuxedo in a triangle and this just V-shaped logo that was his, that was a bust of him and it was vector art which is black and white exact lines and um I was transfixed and I'm a big fan of a body art. And every time I've seen a tattoo that I know I'm going to get, I know right off the bat that I'm going to get it and where it's going to go. And I saw that and I'd been looking for the ideal Klaus Nomi tattoo for years. And I saw it and I contacted the artist and I said, I love this piece. I want to put it on my left forearm. Can I? And he said, of course, sure. I'd love to see that. And Time passed, circumstances were what they were, and I didn't get it for another five years, but um, I got finally got it in 2014 to celebrate my birthday. It's, uh, it's shades of blue and black and white, and it's on my left forearm, and <laughs> it wasn't until years after I'd seen that art that... Um, If you've ever seen a show on the Cartoon Network called The Venture Brothers, there's a uh, villain henchman in there that's based on Klaus Nomi. So if you think of my tattoo, think of the uh, character from The Venture Brothers is based on Klaus Nomi because it's very similar art. And now everybody thinks that um, this tattoo is hands down the the favorite of everyone who sees my work, everybody who's, um, you know, who you know, it's the one that gets the most remarks. People will come running up to me in nightclubs, grab my arm and scream. It gets that kind of effect. And, uh, but it looks like the character from the Venture Brothers so much that people think that's where I got it from, but no, it was original art from way back in uh, 2009. And it's just a coincidence that's based on such an awesome show. A friend of mine who's actually friends with the people who created the show sent them pictures of my arm, uh, at one point when I was at a club and we got to, via his phone, we got to experience them geeking out on my art while we were in a club in DC and they were in Japan. So, and over the years as I've, you know, Klaus Nomi was one of the earliest public figures to die from complications of the AIDS virus. He died in uh, August of 1982. And um, he's always been important in that sense as a public figure. If you're looking for more information on him, uh, there aren't a lot of books about him, but I will mention two in a minute. But there is an excellent documentary. It's very easy to find on DVD and Blu-ray and streaming called The Know Me Song that goes into that at length. And so he was always more of a public figure and an art figure than he was a musical celebrity. But I have extolled his virtues to anyone who will listen over the years. Just And he's, I like to think that I've contributed to a kind of revival on his part. And I think that, you know, the more you hear about him as an art figure, the more you hear about how otherworldly he was, how different he was and, you know, the circumstances of his life and uh, unfortunately of his death. I think that he's one of those public figures that the more you hear about him, he's the kind of thing that people like to talk about and people like to, you know, relate their experiences of when they first saw or heard him what he means to them and so forth. So I think in a very real way, you know, the whole, his tagline when he was doing live performance was he came from outer space to save the human race. And I think that brings people together. And I like to think that I've done my part as a DJ to, you know, I made one of my Twitch stream emojis, the Klaus Nomi art that's on my arm, I see people sharing it all the time. Not a stream goes by that's at least one person doesn't uh, comment on it. And uh, people subscribe and they share it all over the world. This is the kind of celebrity that really brings people together. You know, there really was one of a kind and was gone far too soon. And in terms of showing me that the boundaries and barriers of who I am, who I could be, what I could like, and what music could be to me and to others, truly just are meaningless and the sky's the limit. And I think in that sense, to get really cheesy, Klaus Nomi did come from the outer space. And in a very real sense, having him be such a big part of my life, you know, to come into my life one Saturday night in the 80s out of nowhere to save this human's race really just the, the, I don't know what my life would have been like without being one of his fans. And so that's really what Klaus Nomi means to me. And thanks for letting me talk about it. And just really quick, there were, aren't any actual, like they said in the podcast, there aren't a a lot of books written about Klaus Nomi. There's no definitive biography. There certainly isn't a definitive autobiography. I hope that will change soon. Maybe I'll change it. Who knows? Um, But there are two books in which he features very prominently that you should pick up if you're interested. One is The Mud Club by Richard Bach. Um, Mud with two Ds and Bach spelled B-O-C-H. That is a history of a club in New York City, an iconic club called The Mud Club from 1979 to 1982, written from the point of view of Richard Bach, who was the head doorman at that time. And the other book is Life and Death on the New York Dance Floor, which is a uh, history of New York during that time, New York clubs, New York dance scene by Tim Lawrence. Those two books, Klaus Nomi features in them very, very prominently. So if you want to know more about him, you can read those two books. I hope he's as big an experience for you as he was for me.
0: And I think that wraps it up for this episode.
2: So that means you all know the drill. Please like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, tell your mom and dad. Why not? Uh, you can definitely follow us on Facebook at It's Midnight Somewhere. Uh, you can send us an email at It's Midnight Somewhere Podcast at gmail.com. We are selling buttons and stickers if you'd like them. They're available at morbidoutlook.com slash sticker and morbidoutlook.com slash button. So, yeah, if you guys would like any merch, go grab it real easy. And otherwise, I guess we'll see you in a couple weeks.
1: It's midnight, summer. It's midnight. Midnight.
2: Midnight. This podcast was almost called
0: All the Boys in France Do the Hoochie Coochie dance, dance With and Their the men underpants.
2: go Around
5: With Their Hammers Hanging Down Did Do What Your Mama Says And a Do What Your Papa Says But Don't let Your Pants Doing the Hoochie Coochie Dance